last week, we looked at the promise of God given to Joshua and learned that before success, there must be submission to God. And that means not turning to the right nor to the left and being saturated with the word of God, which means meditating in the word day and night. Last week, the theme was total dependence upon God. The theme of today's message in the second part of this three-part series, Standing on the Shores of Tomorrow, today's theme is God can use anyone, even the most unlikely of persons. For this message today, we will consider two points, one from Rahab and the other from the two spies. We are respectable church members now, hobnobbing with church people, but not everyone in church has always been in church. Many of us know by experience and behavior the Rahab story. Each time this woman is referenced in the Bible, she is referred to as what? Rahab the harlot. Even in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, that we refer to as the hall of faith, it is recorded, and I quote, by faith, Rahab the harlot perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Now, now, before you're ready to say, I have never behaved like a harlot. That is, in the context here, selling your body for money. There was a time when each of us lived and I do mean each of us. There was a time when each of us lived outside of God's requirements. There was a time when we were not covered by the blood. And you ask me, how do you know that? Are you not being judgmental? No. Here is what I know. That no one enters this world as a born-again Christian. You may be born into wealth and privilege, but no one is ever born saved. While the denotation, the dictionary meaning, and the connotation, the contextual meaning of harlot in Joshua is about sexual prostitution, the Bible also speaks of harlotry in the context of idol worship 
or living in pleasure against the divine dictates of God. Read with me what the text says in Jeremiah 3, 6 and 8. Together, the Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that with black backsliding Israel hath done? She is what? Gone up upon every high mountain and what? Under every green tree and there had what? Played the harlot. Next verse. And I what? Saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I what? Put her away and given her a bill of what? Divorce. Yet her what? Treacherous sister, Judah, feared not, but went and played what? So we see how the word is used at some point. Even when we are not in any sexual sins, God says if we are doing something outside of him and worshiping idols, maybe our children, our material possessions, he says we have played the harlot. Jericho was a well-fortified city. It had a double wall. The first wall was built around the outer periphery. And this protected the inner wall. It was a border city. It was luscious. Fruit trees, palms, water, vegetation. It had everything. In order to leave the desert behind and enter into the rich land of milk and honey, you had to go through Jericho. The Israelites were still camped on the east side of the Jordan, approximately 15 miles away from Jericho. But everyone knew in that area what the Israelites were getting ready to do. News of their early victories spread quickly, and the people from all around sought protection in Jericho. Unfortunately, it was not the place to be because God had decreed that everything and everyone in Jericho would be destroyed. Jericho was a Canaanite city, unfriendly to visitors, especially to those who came in the name of Yahweh, their God. We do not know of Rahab's religious beliefs prior to meeting these two spies. But in talking with them, it is clear that Rahab was no different from the people in the city, that she too was aware of what God had done on the other side of the Jordan. And here's what she said. 
For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what he did to these two kings. Rahab plays an important role in Israel's entry into the promised land and in preparing the genealogy that would inform the world of Jesus, his ministry and his mission, we find the name Rahab. Here are some things we need to know about Rahab. Number one, she was not Jewish. She was a Canaanite woman. She was part of Jericho's wall separating everyone from the life beyond the Jordan. And yet, God uses her as the gateway to the promised land. I want us to stop and think about what I just said. She was not Jewish. She was Canaanite. She plied in a trade that the world did not embrace. It was vile. It was anything but godly. And yet, God uses her as the gateway to the promised land. In his providence, Rahab later married Salmon, one of Joshua's men, and their offspring was Boaz, who would go on to become the husband of Ruth in the lineage of the Messiah. Within the list of faith of champions in Hebrews that I referenced earlier, Rahab is mentioned right after Moses instead of Joshua. Let that sink in. The only other woman mentioned in that Hebrews 11 is Sarah, Abraham's wife and mother of Isaac. It is a high honor to be included in such a group. After reading the first five books of the Bible, the last thing anyone would have expected was that God was going to use a pagan prostitute in a city being destroyed because of sin to bring about Jesus. Every man, woman, child, and animal in Jericho was to be killed and burnt. The only thing when you read the story that God allowed to be taken was gold, silver, bronze, and iron. And God said these were to be used for what? His work. Remember a fellow by the name of Achan? He decided he's going to get some stuff for himself, and he and his family perished as a result. Rahab was accepted 
into the nation of Israel to such an extent that she was able to marry into the royal family. We recognize that is nothing but the grace of God that allows Rahab to be part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. When we look at the book of Matthew, here's what it says. Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. The genealogy of our Lord Jesus brings out this soul-searching question about the mind of Jehovah God. From a human perspective, we would have expected to have the line of Jesus to come from so-called pure people. But it is not so. Rahab, a pagan prostitute. Ruth, was a Gentile. Perez, son of Judah, was conceived when Judah sought the services of a prostitute. Judah did not know that the woman he was going after was his deceased son's wife. In other words, she was his daughter-in-law. In plain English, Perez was not conceived in love, but in lust. Solomon was born from Bathsheba, who was another man's wife. Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, David had him kill so he could bring Bathsheba into the palace and make her his wife after he had set a trap to kill her husband. Here is something very interesting. Some may sit in condemnation of others for their sinful acts. But we can never know or underestimate how God can use something that is bad to bring about something that is good. Jesus always restored women back to a place of honor. You remember the woman at the well? 
the woman who had an issue of blood, the woman caught in adultery, Mary Magdalene, Jesus always brought them back to honor. All were ostracized by society. Yet Jesus loved each of them, healed them, and graciously restored them to a place of honor. Here is the first of two things I will say today. And I want you to repeat it after me because it is that important. Our responsibility as believers is to restore. And we must embrace the fact that God can use anyone, even the most unlikely among us. Our responsibility as believers is to restore and we must embrace the fact that God can use anyone, even the most unlikely among us. Who would have believed that God would have used Rahab? Are you telling me in Jericho, this prostitute who ran an inn, a brothel, a place when you came in, you stayed, and you had services. Are you saying that's the only place God could have used someone? When you go to the book of Revelation 21 and verse 12, describing the new Jerusalem. Here is what it says. Describing this city and had a wall great and high. And had 12 gates. And the gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And names written thereon. Follow me. And had a wall, great and high. And had, how many gates? 12 gates. And at the gates, what? 12 angels. And names written thereon. Which are the names of what? The twelve what? Tribes of what? The children of Israel. The twelve tribes. Did I say the twelve tribes? These twelve men had the same father. But four different baby mamas. Jacob had two sisters as wives, and he had their handmaids as concubines. There in the new Jerusalem, are you telling me God could not have found better offspring? Is God trying to say something to us? Twelve tribes, twelve names, coming from a man who took two sisters, and had their maids and had 13 children. They don't men mention the sister Dinah. We, we're not going to talk about women's issues today. As to why her name is not there. But 12 sons. What is the message here? Please don't leave saying the pastor is advocating 
or encouraging people to complicate a mess of their lives by engaging in conduct God already denounces or prohibits. When you read Jacob's story, it should discourage anyone from trying what he tried because there was a lot of trouble in Jacob's household. But what God is saying is if you come from a situation or if you find yourself in a situation where your peers were not married or where you came out of wedlock, God is saying, look up, all is not lost. Because he does not dishonor you because of what your parents did. Next month, we'll be talking about this curse on Black History Month. And we'll be looking as to see how many, so many of us walk around thinking that we are cursed and we can't get ahead because God cursed Canaan, Abraham's grandson, Ham's son, and we look at the Hamitic tribe and the color, and we've concluded that when you look all over the world, black people are last and they're cursed. We'll be dealing with that next month. But here is something we need to appreciate. For those of us walking in the straight and narrow, God says, don't discard baby mamas and baby daddies. For God still has a place of honor and respect for the most unlikely of persons. Rahab's exemplary deed was telling a lie. The men came. The king said, we heard they were there. And she lied. Think about it. A harlot a liar, and a Canaanite, and God used her. Our responsibility as believers is to restore, and we must embrace the fact that God can use anyone, even the most unlikely among us. Now to my second point. Here's what we find in God's word. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies, secretly from Shittim, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come on to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. I have read this text several times. But something struck me as odd about these spies. This part of the narrative. 
The Bible calls them spies. Can everybody say spies? Well, immediately, if you think about it, a spy should be incognito. Maybe the king had his own spies on the lookout. The first time we read of spies in the Bible is in Genesis 42, when Jacob's 10 sons went to Egypt looking for grain. Their brother Joseph saw them, recognized who they were, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph asked them, did you guys come here to spy, to see what we have? And they responded, we are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. That's the first time we read about spies. Well, the truth is, they were coming to buy food. Follow me now. They were not in disguise. They came as who they were because they were not coming as spies. Contrast that with the two men that Joshua sent into Jericho as spies. You would expect that they would be in disguise. It is no secret that countries use spies to protect national security. Espionage is big business. The entertainment industry is replete, that is full, with television and movie scripts that are based on spy stories. And some folk, maybe even members here, love to read a good spy novel. Everywhere there are spy stories. Moses had sent out 12 spies to view the country. They were to report on the fortification and terrain and to see if the land was producing much. In Jericho, the campaign was from Joshua to go and seek out this country. Tell us the conditions of Canaan. What are the qualifications of a spy? A spy must have observational skills, interpersonal skills, self-reliance, intelligence, integrity, honor, flexibility, creativity, confidence, humility, courage, and an unwavering loyalty in support of the cause. Do you think you could have been a spy? It asks for courage, among other things. Spies had to blend in. And here is the consideration for this complex thought. How come the king got news so quickly that these men were spies? They went and they should have been incognito. 
They should have been in, the, in disguise, but they were found out. And I looked at the commentaries, and I looked to see if there was anything in terms of race or ethnicity. And the answer was no. The children of Israel on that side of the Jordan did not look phys physically different from the people on the other side of the Jordan. The only dis distinction was on that side of the Jordan, they said they were the sons of Anak. In other words, there were many seven-footers. And maybe Joshua used not seven-footers. So maybe they were recognized because they weren't tall. But the literature does not give us insight as to why they were so quickly spotted. And I, I got to thinking, and this is where you and I come in. Is it possible? Is it possible that these men had been so submissive, subdued, and saturated with God that they couldn't help but look like the children of God even in a foreign land? Is it possible that we can get to a place where we are so much like him that even when we are going pretending not to be like him, people can't help but say, you are like him. You remember Peter. Here he is on that Thursday night. Jesus is taken. And somebody says, were you not with him? And Peter said, no, 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 no. He was given three chances. He didn't start cursing and swearing until after the, the cock did his thing. But as he denied Jesus, and these words are very poignant. It says, thy speech betrayeth thee. I don't know about you, but I think we need to get a place when our speech betrays us. We can't help but talk as if we have been with Jesus. We can't help but walk as if we have been with Jesus. And so when we are in a foreign place, they will know who we are. These spies were supposed to be incognito, but they were spotted. I think today I can declare it's good to be a spy for Jesus Christ. That when we go into a place, and it can be a dance hall, music playing, and when the folks see us moving off beat, they know he doesn't belong here. They know our dress doesn't look right. They know something about us that says she has been with Jesus. We need to be like spies. Unfortunately, uh, sometimes, and I don't know what they have downstairs, but I can begin to smell something coming upstairs. We have some cooks up downstairs. 
Frederick the Great, the king of Prussia, won a strategic battle with comparative ease and little loss of men, Elder Wright. And when Frederick was asked, how come you won this battle? His response was, and this is what it says, the enemy had seven cooks and one spy. I had seven spies and one cook. We need to aspire to be like spies, representing Jesus. And the most important thing about the spy is the courage and willingness to die for the cause. We don't think of Rahab in this way, but the truth is, if the king had found out what Rahab had done, she would have been executed. But the Bible says that when Joshua and his men came back to invade and to capture Jericho, Rahab was spared and her family because she had the courage to recognize. She says, I know, I know, I've heard. Sometimes we hear and we pretend we are deaf. This, the genealogy in the Bible. Let us know that Jesus' background was a lot like yours and mine. He called himself the friend of sinners. And he said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners on to repentance. Stop and think for a moment about Rahab and the spies. But first, Rahab. Rahab did not have a Bible. She did not have a church. She never had or met a missionary. She had never heard a gospel sermon, beautiful singing, the praise theme. She was living in a pagan city among wicked people with a wicked lifestyle, no knowledge of God, but God in his grace opened her heart and allowed her to hear something about him. She believed what she heard and she was saved. Look at us today. We have the Bible. Can somebody say amen? amen. We have the church. We have gospel preaching. We have singing. We even have streaming services. You can have church online, in your bedroom, in your living room, in your den, in your study. We have everything. Rahab didn't have these things, but yet when the opportunity came, she accepted and she was saved. Nathan Hale a graduate of Yale University, had joined the Connecticut Regiment in 1775 and served in the successful campaign of the siege of the British-occupied Boston. 
On September 10th, 1776, Nathan Hale volunteered to cross behind enemy lines on Long Island to spy on the British in preparation for the Battle of Harlem Heights. Disguised as a Dutch schoolmaster, this Yale-educated slipped behind British lines on Long Island and successfully gathered information about British troops' movements for the next several weeks. While he was behind enemy lines, the British invaded Manhattan. They took control of the city on September 15, 1776. When the city was set on fire on September 20th, British soldiers were told, look out for sympathizers to the Patriot cause. The following evening, September 21, Hale, this Yale graduate and Connecticut school teacher was captured while sailing along Long Island Sound, trying to cross back into American territory. Here is what it says. He was interrogated by British General William Howe. And when it was discovered that he was carrying incriminating documents hidden in the sole of his shoes, General Howe ordered his execution for spying. And Nathan Hill was executed as an American spy while he was British because he had pledged his allegiance to America. He gave his life. And it is recorded that just before he died, here is what he said. I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. What is your country? Do we have the courage to be spies for God? Do we have the courage to say, I am going to do his bidding even at the cost of my life? Nathan Hill gave his life for a cause for a country our cause is a city whose builder and maker is God. And today, I am buoyed by the fact that Rahab is counted among the righteous. She had the courage because when she heard of God, she says, I'm going to cast my lot with him. And these two spies that Joshua spent, sent into Jericho, they knew they could have been killed, but they were willing to give their lives for the cause of God. What are we willing to give today 
for the cause of God? What are we willing to give? I trust as we stand on the shores of tomorrow, the promised land is ahead of us. Next week, we will conclude as we talk about this battle of Jericho. But today, I want us to remember that God can use the most unlikely among us. And number two, when and if we are spies, we are willing to die for the cause of Christ. May God help us to have the qualities of a spy. Courage being foremost. Humility, flexibility, creativity. So that we can do his bidding. For this we ask in his name. Father in heaven. We do recognize that sometimes we're so caught up with what we want that we're not willing to sacrifice for your cause. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's friendships. Whatever it is, may we remember as we stand on the shores of tomorrow that we can take the position of bravery because we know we're doing what's right for you. This we ask in Jesus' name that the church say, Amen.